Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Excellence Expected with me, Mark Asquith. Now, in a previous episode, you'll remember that we spoke about crowdfunding and it was an episode that got a lot of attention because investment generally is something that, being honest, not that many people know too much about. They do know that it's a little bit buzzwordy, they know that it's massive right now and they know that it brings a heck of a lot of opportunity, but actually, at the grassroots level, not that many people know too much about it. And that's the issue that we're going to challenge today. If you are sat in your startup looking for funding, but you keep failing, you keep falling down, you're not getting that investment. Today, we are going to challenge that issue and we're going to give you three actionable tips on how to secure that investment. And joining me today to help with this subject is someone that started his first business for just £300 and actually sold that business years later, less than 10 years later, actually, for a deal worth up to £55 million. So this guy knows what he is doing. It gives me great, great pleasure to welcome to the show British entrepreneur, Mark Pearson. Hey, how you doing? Good, thank you, sir. Good. We were just having a a chit-chat in the pre-interview chatter about uh, our joint northern roots. I'm sat in Barnsley. You are uh, are a former Liverpoolian, aren't you, sir? Yeah, I grew up in Liverpool, kind of that, so I was born and bred, kind of, I love the area and some of my family are still up there, but... You know, I did I did pack my backpack up when I was eighteen and moved all the way to the streets of Pave with Gold London to find uh to start my career. My career was originally as a chef and that's probably where I probably should start my story, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Let's 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 dig into that a little bit. Where did you start and how did you end up doing what you're doing now? And actually what is it that you do now? So so as I said, grew up in Liverpool and I didn't come from the I didn't come from the the best background to start with. I think you know, there were some challenges. So, you know, I, another reason I talk about it is I think I think things like I'm about to tell you make a person and make that extra special drive. And that'll come to later. I'll look for drive in an individual when you're looking for, are you going to invest in them? So I grew up in Liverpool. I, about nine, 10 years old, my parents went through a pretty messy divorce with domestic violence. And at that age, you're aware of it and it, you know, it's quite disruptive and it was disruptive to me. And, you know, looking back, it probably really affected my life at the time because it's quite, it's quite an earth shaking moment, but it, it affected me in school. I really, I didn't pay attention in school. I didn't like school and a lot of, a lot of youngsters go through that. So because I didn't really like it and I didn't really care and there's loads of stuff going on at home, I didn't do very well. So academically, I was doing pretty badly and I hated it and I was probably being a bit disruptive. So, you know, growing up, as you're coming up to like 16, you've got your exams coming up. It's quite an important time of your life that, you know, it's going to steer how well you do academically tends to steer how you do in your career or business. So I, I did really badly. I got kind of, I think I got one or two C's, D's and E's, which is which is not very good to get you to where you want to go to. And, you know, the other thing is no one, uh, there was no real money in our family. Everyone was kind of, you know, on the bread line. There was nothing really, there were luxuries. We were kind of quite poor. And no one in my family has ever been to university. So it wasn't even an option. You know, uh, now people go, what university did you go to as a standard? And I'm like, I never went to university. I just got on with what I did. So starting off from that background and not achieving super well at school led me to think a little bit differently. It was like, what am I going to do? And my my career options at the time were, you know, I was going to do something hands-on and it was vocational. I remember I went, we went into the library in school and the careers lady was there with 101 different leaflets about what do you want to be in life? So, you know, the only things that really interested me for some reason was catering and being a chef and being a fireman. And I was never going to be a fireman because I'm scared of heights. But so I ended up training to be a chef and I, I left school and went to a local catering college and started to, to train NVQs. So NVQ Catering Hospitality was my first kind of industry I entered into. And, you know, for the first time, I chose what I wanted to do. And I really started to 
started to try really hard and have passion for what I'd chosen to do. So I started to excel and very quickly the lecturer, and this is, this is about the drive and passion again. The lecturer literally pulled me aside and said, Mark, you're really standing out. I can see you're working really hard. You're in really early. You're going home really late. You know, if you work really hard in this, in this sector, in this career, you can really excel. So I ended up two or three years later, I ended up representing the college in a local catering competition. And for me, it was quite a big thing at the time because I, I felt like a failure in life so far. I'd done really bad in school. And when you're doing badly, you kind of get pushed aside. You know, there's always the star pupils and the star classes. And I was in the lower class, never doing well. And then for the first time I was doing well. So it kind of gave me that little confidence boost you need because actually I am as good as other people in different areas. I've just got to find out what I'm good at. So I ended up representing the college regionally at a student chef of the year competition. And I won. And I was thrilled because for the first time I was felt like I was a little step above everyone else and I had achieved something. You know, I got the badge, I got the stiffy, I got the trophy. And then I went for the national awards and, you know, worked really hard, loads of late nights, making sure, and that's the practice makes perfect. And it did. So I ended up winning the National Student Chef of the Year competition, which in the scale of things at the time, it was big for me at the time, but it's not really big in the scale of things. So, but what it was a key thing for me, I was the top of my mini sector at the time. And I ended up getting loads of job opportunities. So I got a job opportunity in California, job opportunity in France, a job opportunity in London. And I wasn't brave enough to go international. I hardly traveled internationally in my life. So from that point, I essentially went to London and that was my big step. Never been to London in my life. At 18 years old, came on the train down to London, got a job in Claridge's Hotel in Mayfair. And it's a five-star hotel. It was a whole different world for me. I'd never seen anything luxurious or money or London city life. So it was a pretty amazing journey for me. But what I was, I was on £16,000 a year salary, which is such a small amount of money when you're living in a big city. And it was really kind of tough, but got my hands dirty. And remember, I wasn't glamorous. I was a commie chef. You're at the bottom of the ladder and you've got to do all the hard work and, you know, peeling a thousand pieces of asparagus. It's not glamorous, but like any career, you've got to work your way up. So that was my first real industry. And, it, you know, what it taught me is really hard work, really long hours. I'm never afraid of that. And I think that's important. That's a really important point. If you're going to be an entrepreneur and going to go on this journey, it's not a nine to five and it's not easy. I think the next step of my life was I always had an entrepreneurial drive inside, but didn't really have any opportunities to fulfill that and make it happen. So I think one of the biggest steps for me was I stuck, I stuck it with Claridge's for two years but I had that itch to do something. And actually, I didn't think I was ever going to progress very far in Claridge's. It was quite an old hierarchy type type uh, uh, business. And it took years to probably climb up that ladder. And I wanted to progress quicker than that. So I ended up leaving. I ended up going to work for a little startup restaurant. And this was interesting. It wasn't a tech startup, but it was a startup business. So I seen all the work, all the hard work, all the frustrations, all the stress of pulling something together and making it happen. And again, I grabbed it by two hands and put my all into it. And it was pretty big success. I was the little head chef of this little 40-seater restaurant in South London. And it started to achieve pretty good results and, you know, lots of return customers, lots of great feedback. And that point, and uh, I believe in fate a lot, at that point, they, the number one customer was a lady called Trisha. And all as I knew is she spent most of the time in this restaurant with all her girly friends. She was probably about 50 years old and she drove really nice, shiny red Porsche. And I'm like, I don't know how she's got that Porsche, but she's doing quite well in life. So she gave me a business card and said, Mark, you're rocking this place. You're making it happen. And, you know, I, I might have an opportunity for you. So at that point, I give her a call and she said, I've got places in South London, kind of pubs, who haven't got restaurants yet, but we've certainly got space for restaurants. And, you know, Clapham's up and come in. And, you know, I, I want to really make these venues gastro pubs and really cool, really funky, great wine, great, great beers and great food. Would you be keen on doing it? Because I think you've got all the right skills. So essentially, for the first time in my life, I got offered an opportunity which was too good to miss. Not really in the sector I wanted to be. It was just the sector that my my journey and career had taken me to that level. So I ended up 
when I was 21 years old, opening my own restaurant, kind of. So it was in, it was in her venue, big old venue, probably a hundred seater. And I was running the food side as my own business and she would run the drink side. So it, it was, it was a nice entry level way for me to start my business. And I, I, I borrowed 3000 pounds and this is, this is a key thing. Friends and family are a key point to start your business cash to get the initial cash to get yourself off the ground. Friends and family are a key point. So use this example of I borrowed 3000 pounds from my grandma to start my first business. So that business is very successful. And I ended up scaling the restaurant mini chain to three different venues. So, and they were all in South London, but I was, I was about 23 years old and working seven days a week. And what really frustrated me the most is I had great ambitions internally of what I wanted to achieve. And I just didn't think I could achieve it with the restaurant business because I struggled to scale it. And the business wasn't a bad business. It was highly profitable. It was doing well, but only to a certain level. And I think, you know, people business was frustrating for me. So chefs, pretty temperamental creatures, you know, if you upset them, they can be pretty volatile, you know, and I think that's just the nature of chefs, Wait, waitresses and waiters. They, they were never that reliable, you know, so it was part-time job for them. They didn't love the business as much as I love the business. I remember I was young, so maybe, maybe if I did it all again, I'd do it better, but I actually made one big decision. I actually assessed that my whole situation and future, and I decided to walk away from that business. So I walked away from the restaurant and the key thing is I walked away with cash in the bank. So, you know, I didn't have lots of money, maybe I had 15, 20,000 pounds in the bank, but it's more money than I'd ever had before. And I, I look at that as a stepping stone. So I, I've come from not very good background, not done very well in school. And now, okay, it took a couple of years later, but at least I'm in a position to actually do something and maybe choose what I want to do next. So I literally locked myself in my apartment for the next maybe four, five, six months and just got on the internet knowing I wanted to launch an internet business. So, you know, getting hands-on, dirty, didn't really know much about the internet or internet marketing or how to even do an online business, but read. And that's what I love about the internet, the beauty of the internet. It's so powerful to be able to read, research, YouTube videos, blogs, you know, uh, there's lots and lots of places to find information. And, you know, I, I found myself regularly on business forums and kind of UK startup forums, young entrepreneur forums, talking to other like-minded people, gaining information. And, you know, th there's a blog, there's a forum post out there of me saying, has anyone got a business idea? Which kind of makes me laugh because, you know, it's quite naive that someone's going to come along and go, hi, Mark, here's a business idea. You go for it. You know, that isn't how it works. But the key point is you're putting yourself out there and you're looking for opportunities. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll leapfrog a little bit forward at this point. So I, I dabbled for, I'd say a year or so doing various online mini ventures, you know, with a little bit of cash, I was outsourcing technology using websites like freelancer, et cetera, to everywhere around the world, people were building products for me. So I built a comparison site, I built a blog, I built, uh, you know, I think I built a, a mini forum and I was testing my marketing skills and learning, reading, researching, but really getting my hands dirty. And, you know, then I launched a small retail business and, you know, that retail business wasn't the biggest thing in the world, but what it allowed me is entry level into the commerce space. So I launched a, the small retail business for 600 pounds. And that, that, that was a simple product. It, I put a message on the petal of a rose. So I love you. Will you marry me? Happy birthday. And I delivered it. So small retail business. I found the concept in America and replicated it in the UK. Uh, what I discovered very quickly is my biggest skill set was marketing. So being really hands-on, doing search engine optimization, paid search, growing a customer base, doing other advertising methods, the business started to succeed. And one of my biggest success stories was doing my own PR. I, I reached out to lots of journalists and very, very quickly, very, very quickly, I had a, had a success with ITVs this morning came back to me and offered me an opportunity to feature my product on the TV show. So I, 
I did that, delivered the product to the studio. It featured just before Valentine's Day and sales went ballistic through the roof. So it, it was a great time to scale my business up. It was, it was very successful and, you know, happy, made lots of money, you know, but the key point was after the end of that crazy Valentine's period where I had to pull all friends, family, and everyone I knew to make it happen, one of the biggest challenges was I realized the business was quite hard to scale. It was a fresh product delivered by a post, so it, it limited its international capability. And, you know, it was also a very, very seasonal business. So one of my biggest frustrations on that point was I actually want to do something that's a lot more scalable. And I felt like I'd taken a step up the ladder from where I'd started, but it wasn't the right step. And at that point, I discovered affiliate marketing because as a retailer, I, was, I launched an affiliate program. I was advertising to other people and they were, they would, I would pay them a commission for every sale they brought to me. And I was intrigued by this model because I realized I'm the, I'm the guy running the business and I'm doing the customer service and doing the product and doing the marketing and everything else in between. And I end up making a small profit at the end of that. Whereas the publishers who were affiliate publishers, they would have a publisher website. They would publish content and marketing and they didn't really have much costs, you know, and and I was paying them a healthy piece of my profit margin in return for sales on performance. So I really liked that model because I thought, actually, that's scalable. They haven't really got a product. It's a digital product. And one of my most successful marketing pieces was using discount codes, so voucher codes. Every time I did a discount code, put it in the market, I'd see a spike in sales. And it was it was kind of that light bulb moment that made me think, discounts are quite powerful online and people like using them. Why is there not one place to have discounts? You know, why is there not one website, one location? So in 2006, I spent 300 pounds building a very simple website and it was ugly at the time. It was an MVP, minimal viable product, where I, I had the idea and I put all the vouchers and discounts for all the top retailers onto this website. And the site took off really, really quickly. The site was called myvouchercodes.co.uk and it started to take off really, really quickly. Remember, I, it wasn't my first time in the sector. I'd spent a year or so understanding all the various marketing channels. But so it, it started to do really, really well. I was doing search engine optimization, paid search, email marketing, and the business grew and grew and grew. And very, very quickly, the business eclipsed the other revenues of what my other company was making. So I started to put a lot more focus into that business. And, you know, in year one, that company did 300,000 turnover and I was running it from my house, from my bedroom, more or less. Year two, it did a million pounds turnover. And uh, after year two, I, I, I knew I had to, when I say take it more seriously, I was outsourcing a lot of the services. So content, technology, sales. I had lots of different people around the world helping me run the business. And I was just sitting in my house kind of coordinating it all. But at that point, I knew to grow bigger, we needed to go international and to do international properly. I probably needed to house everyone together. So, you know, two years after I launched the business, I really started to invest heavily into the company. We hired 30 people in a, in a London-based office. And the business scaled up. I think the business went 5 million, 10 million turnover. And it was very, very profitable business. And this is where my investment story come in. So the business was giving me profits personally as a 100% shareholder. And at this point, I'd never had outside investment besides my nan giving me my first opportunity for £3,000. So business is very profitable. It was, it was giving me about three to five million profit a year. So I was very fortunate to buy a nice house, buy my mama house, buy a nice car, but I didn't, I didn't need that much. I was comfortable, but I wanted to grow the business even more. So at that point, you know, I, I was the I was the voucher king in the sector. I was doing all the discounts. We had the biggest traffic. We had millions of visitors every month. We had about three, four or five million. We ended up with nearly seven million consumers signed up to our business and get our regular weekly emails. And from that point, I decided to scale out. I, I had that light bulb moment. What else are these consumers doing? Instead of just shopping online, how else can I service them? How else can I monetize them? Or, you know, what can be good for both parties? So that was my first major time I invested. So this starts talking about the investment point. So 
to broaden my own business, I started looking at investment opportunities to help me grow my business out. So ticketing seemed like a great opportunity. And I came across a great ticketing startup called Last Second Tickets. Uh, they had they had quite weak technology. They had great commercial relationships, all the West End theater and concerts. And, you know, sales team was average. And what I started to do, I, I, I invested a quarter of a million pounds on my own cash initially. And, you know, I loved the team, think they were highly energetic, but they had some of them downfalls, but I identified that. And I knew I could help them with technology, help them with sales and make it better. And actually, if, if they get all the sectors right, they'll probably win big. So they joined me and folded them into the business, two separate businesses working alongside my main business, which is called Marco Media, which was the voucher business. And the second business was called Last Second Tickets. And that was my first kind of toe in the water of investment and being on the investor side. I we ended up growing that business. And as you said at the very beginning, we sold that company last June for £55 million. That was a great story. But what I also started to do after that first investment, within like six months, I knew it was being successful. I knew I had skills which would complement the founding team, help them maximize their result. So I started to think, you know, I'm making money. I've got money in the bank. Wouldn't it be good? Wouldn't it be good? I love entrepreneurship. I love startups, love businesses. I think it would be good for me as a future to be become an investor. So so I didn't know what it was called at the time, but I'd, I'd become an angel investor. And, you know, I was investing probably between £50,000 and, you know, up to a million pounds in some cases, probably average average investment size, probably quarter of a million pounds. So I ended up over the, over the next couple of years investing in about 10 different companies. And, you know, for all various reasons, all various areas, you know, so sometimes I go to an event and meet a startup. Sometimes they'd contact me, sometimes a connection of a connection. So lots of different uh, direction, these companies come in front of me and, you know, I would look for various things and we'll talk about that in a minute, what the kind of things I, I really look for. But, you know, over the last few years and I kind of, I, I, I pat myself on the back at this point, but I also kick myself with a slight bit of frustration. But what's really funny is some of these companies have become way bigger than my own company. So by me investing early on and them going on to raise further investment from other investors, some of these companies have grown to be huge. So there's a, you know, there's a, there's lots of different businesses in my portfolio and, you know, they tend to be in the e-commerce space, not just online retailers, but they tend to be back-end service providers, platform providers, marketplaces, etc. But there's one company I invested in five years ago. I invested half a million pounds into a company called V Interactive. And, you know, it was a very small company at the time, but then it had, they had about 10 staff and, I invested half a million pounds and what they were doing, they were out there to fix performance and conversion for retailers. You know, and I love this story because literally just before Christmas, that company raised, uh, I think, an, another five million pounds at a 1.25 million valuation. They've now got lots and lots of revenue. They've got lots and lots of clients. They've got, I think, 800 staff around the world. And, you know, in 27 offices and in multi-language. And, you know, the, they're an example of a great UK company that has scaled in five and a half years. They've scaled from that small company to that size. And actually, you know, I think we're going to see great things. I, I, I'm very fortunate to be aware of all the magic things that's going on inside that company. And, you know, come back in a year or two's time, and I'm sure we'll be all be singing their praises as a highly successful UK entity. And that's what excites me about investing. I, I like people that think big and like people that really go for the big opportunity. So I think I think that gives you an understanding of how I got into investing. One of the things I've done recently is to, because of my success, you know, my, my success in my own personal investments, I've had 60 times return on average for all the investments I've made. So, you know, that outperforms a lot of the traditional VC models, et cetera. But so, so whatever that magic source is, you know, and, and we'll talk about that in a minute, you know, investing in the right people, investing in the right companies, big visions, you know, but actually it's the actual implementation that's key. People's one thing, implementation, and also is the market, right? So lots of different things, but, you know, 
I think hard work is a major thing that's important. So that's what I've done most recently. Literally a few weeks back, I launched officially uh, my my first official venture fund. So moving from an angel investor, which is personal investment, to more of a structured uh, fund. So so now I've got two other partners in this business, and they they've got hedge fund backgrounds and JP Morgan backgrounds, and we've created a fund called Fuel Ventures. You know, and we're, we're raising our own money, so that's interesting. I'm wearing two hats. We're raising our own money. I'm putting a big chunk of money into that fund. We're going to raise a thirty million fund, and. I'm also at the same time meeting more startups than ever looking for investment. So I've never seen such quality companies as I have now in the sector. And, you know, there's so much opportunity in technology. You know, it's been gaining momentum over the years. And it feels like, you know, now really is the time. We've been through all the trials, errors. You know, we went through the dot-com boom, the dot-com bust. And I think now really is real companies making real revenue really scaling up. So I think that's probably what gives me the uh, the qualification to explain to you a little bit about, you know, how how and why companies should be raising money and how they should go about it. And that's such a diverse story. That's what I like about that. You know, you've really kind of bootstrapped right up. And I, I love the background of perhaps not being academically perfect. So I think so many entrepreneurs have that. And I think society is kind of changing a little bit in that, you know, the UK is having this kind of entrepreneurial renaissance at the minute where it's it's becoming much more accepted to just follow what you want to do. And if you spot something, you know, your story is full of doors that just need a little push open. And you did that. And I think so many people now are starting to see that across all different types of age groups. And I think, personally, I think the UK is in a real, real strong position at the minute. And just from your perspective, Matt, what what does the UK startup scene look like from an investor's perspective at the minute? You know, we hear all the stories about the US, but what's the UK like right now? So I kind of love it. I alluded to it a second ago, I think, you know, I've never seen so many startups being created. And I think that's a great thing. You know, uh, I'm looking, I'm personally looking for the the best people out there, the people with the biggest drive, the people that are willing to do the sacrifice to, to, to launch a business and go through years and years of scaling that company up. You've got to dedicate yourself to that company. And, you know, it becomes a lifestyle as well. You know, people you work with are going to become your closest friends and your closest allies. And I think, building something from the ground up instead of going into a corporate, you know, machine where you work your way up and, you know, in a traditional career, I think it's the best time ever. I mean, it's particularly youngsters. Youngsters are looking at starting their own business. It's actually a lot higher on the agenda now than going to maybe university and doing all the traditional points. So, you know, there's such a diverse range of startups, you know, and I think, I think we're all aware there's, there's accelerators, there's incubators, and there's, there's actually lots of cash out there to be had for companies who are willing to, to, improve products, take on new sectors, innovate. And if you I mean business at the end of the day is about building services and products that people want. And, you know, you want to create lots of revenue and you want to create lots of profit. That's why people are in business. That's why people invest. Investors want to return on their money. And that's, don't lose sight of that at the end of the day. And I think, you know, think commercial. Uh, you know, I, I only like businesses that think commercial. Some people come to me with a, a crazy moonshot idea and I'm probably not the right investor for that. I like to see a real commercial model behind every business I invest in. And, and you know, how are we going to get to break even? How are we going to get to profitable? How long do we think that will take? And no business can ever really understand exactly how that journey will go, but doing enough research and you know, enough, enough, maybe testing of the market to understand how that may look gives you a guide and a pathway and you know uh, don't don't fret or stress about that business plan being perfect because actually i'll bet you now it won't end up how it looks on paper but what it is is a good signpost and a good vision and benchmarks of how you're going to get there so great diverse selection of entrepreneurs out there, you know, lots and lots of companies being created. And I think, I think that's going to lead to a real exciting future. I'd say in the next five or 10 years, the UK specifically, I really think is going to see some great companies 
coming out or, you know, whether it's IPO or big acquisitions. What I also love is lots of innovation going on, you know, technology, mobile, you mentioned the iWatch earlier, all things like this, which are bringing whole new elements and whole new opportunities to, to traditional, even traditional businesses that can be disrupted. That's what a startup can be. You know, can you do, can you do something better is the first start. A lot of entrepreneurs that I see, and when I say entrepreneurs, people who want to be entrepreneurs, you're not really an entrepreneur until you're running a business. And, you know, I'd say you're not a proper entrepreneur until you're making decent revenue and doing profit. You know, anyone can launch a product and lose lots of money. Uh, I don't think you deserve the badge. You know, personal opinion that might be controversial, but uh, <laughs> I, I think I think the key the key point is I'm really excited about how many companies will make it. And let's be honest, not all them companies will make it for 101 reasons. Not all the companies will make it. So for me, it's about picking back in winners that will make it. But actually, the opportunity for the companies with the biggest visions, and I'm talking global visions, if they think they can take on a market, and you've got to prove it normally in your home your home country or your home area initially. But if you've got that big vision, there's a lot of cash out there, whether it's angels, whether it's funds, whether it's big VCs or you know other institutional money. If you've got the right team, the right vision, and you start getting the right traction, if that's the journey you want to go on, I think now's the best time it's ever been to do that. But and then what we're going to talk about in a second is, but you've got to start that journey. You know, you might have that idea in your head now. You might already have a business which you've started, but unless you take the journey and make the right decisions, right steps, gain the right amount of money at the right valuation, you won't go on that mega size. Will you become the the next? tech unicorn out of the UK and the unicorn's a billion pound business. You know, and a, a lot of entrepreneurs aspire to that. I love entrepreneurs that aspire to be that big, but there is a step and a journey to go on, you know, and I, I, I do think we're going to see a lot more of them. You know, it, it's a no brainer if there's a lot more businesses being created early stage because of the incubators and a lot, a lot more entrepreneurship there'll be a lot more successful businesses coming out the other side. And, you know, you did reference America. I think that it's a shame that we're not already outshining America because we've got the ability to. They've got Silicon Valley and they've got the ecosystem. But remember, that got built from nothing years ago. So we're well on our way to catching up. And will we ever beat them? Will we ever have Googles? Will we ever have Facebooks coming out of the UK? Potentially, but, you know, probably now is the generation where we're going to build them. So I'm, I'm looking for the people who are going to build them companies. I love the, the the point about the people. You know, what you said there is you're looking for the people that are going to build the companies. You're not looking for the companies, which I think is a really important distinction to make. And from an investor's perspective, you know, obviously it's the old cliche. We see it so many times, but, you know, directly from someone that is in this game, someone that invests in early stage businesses, is it, really, really about the people. And you mentioned earlier, the plan will look different today than it does in a year's time. So does it really come down to what's inside the people and their their drive, their ambition and their own personality? Is that is that truly what it's about? Yeah. So uh, very much for me, I think, I think it's not the whole, if, if there was a piece of a pie and a percentage chart we're talking about here, uh, it's not the whole piece, but it's, for me, it's a very big piece because it, it, it's not the company and the concept that makes a success. I think any person with the right drive, the right hunger, they've got to be intelligent. They've got to be smart. They've got to understand the sector. But, you know, if you can see, sometimes I can feel the energy. I'm talking to someone on the phone and feel the passion and feel the energy. And, you know, some people have got that and some people are, you know, average and a little bit lethargic and a little bit lazy and there's two very different people in the world and if you can find these crazy people and you know we could list them we could list the zuckerbergs of the world and you know other other you know the, the snapchat founder you know they are them driven people they've put themselves it, it didn't happen by accident they've taken their companies there and that's the key thing the people will drive the company and investors are going to buy into people so if they like you they think you can deliver they you mightn't be the whole package you know you don't have to be perfect you might not have all the skill but they'll back you for a journey because you're going to improve you're going to educate yourself you're going to make mistakes as you go along but as long as you've got that perseverance passion and drive and you're able to pick yourself back up and be stronger for every failure you've had. 
that's a really, really important piece that everyone looks for, whether it's me as an angel or a small fund investor, or whether it's a big VC. And I talk about the big VCs because if you want to go to that unicorn, big billion journey, which which I think a lot of people aspire to, you need to be able to impress the big VCs because that's where the big money will come and that's where what will help you scale your business internationally. So it is about the people. And, you know, I, I, even yesterday I had someone contact me on Twitter and they were saying, I've had a few knockbacks from uh, investors and VCs recently because I'm a single founder and, you know, I haven't got a co-founder and I haven't got a team. And actually I started out as a single founder and I grew a team around me. So my advice to hit you was saying, should I go and get a co-founder? And I said, I don't think you particularly need a co-founder. I think the key thing you need is a great team around you. So, so we talk about people. It's not just a person, one entrepreneur. You've also got to have the ability. And that's why we talked about being a salesperson earlier. I think you, Every part of business is selling, whether you're selling your vision, you're selling your dream, you're selling to a VC, you're selling to clients. You know, it's all about selling and making people buy into your vision, buy into your dream. And the more people that follow you on that journey, that's what makes successful businesses. People make successful businesses. Deals being done, deals being brokered, relationships, contracts. That's what makes businesses scale up. So it's about the people and good, great people tend to attract other great people. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I love the idea of, of as someone having the drive and personality. I listened to a, a cracking interview with Chris Sacker a, a couple of days ago, actually, and he was saying that a lot of the people that he works with tend to have this inevitability, this this kind of almost unwavering demand of success from themselves. You know, it's not if this gets there, it's when this gets there, when I get to the billion pound or whatever that, you know, whatever success looks like. Target, yeah. Yeah, and it's the inevitability, which I think, as you say, we can all pick the famous names out. But you, even when you look around you at the people that are doing business, bricks and mortar business, or the people that you respect in local business or regional business, whatever that success looks like to them, the people that are doing it have that inevitability. And I, I, I like that idea of saying, well, look, you might not be the complete package, but look, if you're willing to learn, if you're willing to immerse yourself, if you're willing to keep your mind open to the opportunities, then knock yourself out because you will succeed at that. And look, we can talk about this. And I, th I think that's really interesting. And it feels much like you coming from the background that I came from, you know, Northern England, not really that much in the way of open opportunity. You really had to kind of drag yourself up to that opportunity stage. I love the idea that the UK is now in this mindset that you can just go out and grab it by the balls and do what you want. I think it's fantastic. I think it's an amazing time. And I just want to pull that back into investment now. So we've got we've got the idea framed. We know that people can actually achieve this. We know that the UK is really buoyant when it comes to startups. And if there are people out there that are really, really failing, I just want to move on to these fantastic three actionable tips that you've put together, Mark. So if someone's struggling, if someone is really, really wanting to hit this investment and nail it down, but they can't quite get that, they've had a couple of knockbacks, what three things can they do to start to secure that investment? So, so I got to select three. I think that there's lots of various things that could have been done. And we just covered one of the biggest ones, which is the people. And it's not just about you as a person. I think it's your mindset. It's your, it's your passion. It's your drive. It's your hunger to succeed. You know, are you going to, are you going to outdo your competition? Are you going to, every time you get knocked down, are you going to pick yourself up stronger than before? So, so that's, that's, that's one before we even start the list, but that's one of the most important. So, you know, I, I, I'll talk practicality now. So whatever business or sector, and, you know, you choose to do, I think if you put yourself in front of an investor of any size and scale, and, you know, you literally got your hand out, literally, I don't know the word begging, but you're asking for money. You're asking them to take a punt on you and your business. And, it, it, you know, look at a horse race. Are you the one to back? Are you one of the ones that have got the most potential to win? And that's what you've got to get across. So so uh, my first kind of actionable tip is do your homework. You know, if I'm in front of someone and they're pitching a business sector to me or a business that they're doing, I want them to be the expert in that sector. And, you know, I want them to know everything more than I ever know. And, you know, I want them to educate me. I want them to give me so much confidence that they know it like the back of their hand and what they don't know, they will find out you know so you know do your homework be able to address all questions about the market size the opportunities the the, 
the threats, the trends. You know, you've got to be able to frame you and your business as the one who can really make an impact in that sector because that the key word that gives confidence. And if if an investor's confident in your your ability and your knowledge and your skill, which which I referred earlier to, we live in an online age of the internet. You can go and find any information at a few taps of a keyboard and write and you can search and you can read figures, you can read market research, you can see competitors and it takes time, but you can become an expert. If I challenge you now, you can probably go and become an expert in more or less any sector given a period of time. And I think that's the key thing. Be an expert in your sector and understand like the back of your hand, because if you understand you know where the opportunities are and you know how to overcome the challenges. I love that. I think the understanding is massive. I think so many people only dig just a little into any given subject or topic or sector. And I think the, 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 the real deep understanding, when you can address every single question confidently, and even if it's, I don't know, if you can say, I don't know because, and here's how I'll find out, I think that is such a valuable asset for for anyone. I, I wish to teach that at school, you know, that actual concept because it, it sets you up for life and it's no different in this arena, is it? So that that's amazing. And actionable tip number two, sir, what do we got for the guys listening? So I think number two is think big. I mean, and, and this might be for every investor, but for me, I mean, I've talked, I, I want to find the next billion pound businesses coming from the UK and it doesn't mean they're just going to service the UK. It means I want them to think globally. So think big. And I think, you know, don't be afraid to project that. I think, you know, some people when they're presenting to an investor, they think they've got to be really conservative. And, you know, I like people being realistic, but, you know, and sometimes if you're going to give a forecast, you know, try and blow me away a little bit. Give a realistic forecast, which might blow my socks off. But think big and show me how big the opportunity can be. If you if you really scaled this to every country, every city, every town, you know, how big could this be? Because I think investors want to invest the winner. And I think the, the, the person who leads the sector becomes so much more valuable and so much more opportunity. So think big, communicate how how your company's going to scale, how you're going to do it. And, you know, I, I, I get scared sometimes if people think big, tell me they're going to be big, but they haven't really got a step-by-step plan of how they're going to get there because it's kind of, okay, all of us can think big. All of us can talk the talk. How are you actually going to do this? You know, so, so have a, have a bit of a step-by-step plan about how you're going to do it. What are your, what are your, uh, targets? What are your goals? What are your timelines? You know, and, to get to that big vision, it might take you 10 years, but, you know, put a timeline to say, we'll country by country, step by step, city by city, town by town, language by language, whatever it may be, this is how we're going to roll out. And you, you've got to prove your model initially. So don't scare an investor at, I need so much money and we're going to deploy it straight away and we haven't even proven the model. I think the key point is if if you can go to the investor table and you can show them early stats and that's the best situation if you, if you can if you can fund it yourself initially get the product live show some early data well then it's going to be that confidence again they're going to have confidence in you the ability to scale but don't be afraid to think big you know and using that data you got from do your research do your understand of the market if you know how big the market is you know the competitors you know how big they are you know think big and explain to people how you're going to get there you know so that might not apply for everybody. Let's caveat that. That might not apply for everyone. Your business might be a business which is going to scale to the whole of London and it's going to be highly profitable and do very, very well. That's good, but that's still thinking big. You're going to take on the whole area. But for me personally, I like people to think global. I like to invest in businesses that will work in lots of countries. Because, you know, we, we sit on an island with, what, 60-odd million people? There's trillions. There's, not I wish there was trillions. There's billions of people around the world and you know loads of them are connected to the internet and you know we're all very very similar in reality as consumers we're all very very similar with similar problems and similar challenges and similar ambitions and similar tastes so commercially there's lots of opportunities so number two is definitely think big and project that you know come that across and don't be scared to show how big you can scale something or you want to scale something I like the idea of being able to think big and having the confidence to think big. Because I think, especially 
again, back to this kind of northern UK roots, I think sometimes it's very easy to not think big because, as, as you said, right, in your early days, you know, the idea that you could go to France or California or London, you know, that equates directly to big thinking because actually you'd never been to California. So it was a, it would, you were a little fearful of doing so, likewise with France. And I think many people in this kind of scenario, especially from the UK, I, f- I do feel this and I, that, that's perhaps a little bit unfair, but I feel that sometimes we're societally taught to think a little bit smaller and achieve things that are just, just in front of us. Um, so I, I, I do really value that idea of thinking big and really blowing your own ambitions up. So yeah, I, I'm in love with that. I think that's fantastic. And the third and final actionable tip, sir. So number three is, and I'll explain this one. You've got to prove your passion and prove your commitment to something because, you know, I, I see this a lot. So I see a lot of entrepreneurs who are doing the rounds, I'll say, talking to lots of investors. They've got a concept, they've got an idea, but they've taken no risk themselves. And remember, you're asking an investor to take a risk. You're asking them to get their own hard-earned cash and invest in you as an opportunity. And my question is going to be, why am I going to invest in you if you haven't taken any risk yourself? I'm going to risk, say you're asking me for £100,000. I'm risking £100,000. I might lose it if you fail. What are you doing? What's your risk? And I understand that everyone's risk might be the same level. You know, my £100,000 might be £1,000 to you or might be £100 to you. But what have you done? What have you committed of your own? Whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's sacrifices, you know, what have you put into the business yourself? And, you know, you know, if I see, if I see a, a business plan where there's not much risk involved, it's kind of, like I've got this idea and if you give me the money, I'm going to do it and I'm going to still be on this really high salary because that's what I'm used to. And it's like, you know, I like to say, actually, I think I can live on X amount and, you know, it's going to be painful, but, I, but, but I like, I'd like, I don't want to take all your money for myself and, you know, fill my own pockets. I'm actually going to deliver a business and, you know, maybe I'll be on triple salary in two years time. Once I've achieved the business and delivered, it's about results. And I think, you know, a biggest turn off for me is if someone's pitching, they've done no risk, they haven't really even got started on a concept, you know, so there might be a whole idea, all paper based, you know, research, whatever, whatever, but they haven't really even stepped it. They haven't built an MVP. They haven't even done a design, you know, and all these things are very cheap nowadays. The prime example for me is, you know, I outsourced my own website for 300 pounds. So that was to India using freelance, freelancer website. So, but the key thing is I like people to take, that was my risk. That was me proving that the model will work and, you know, 300 pounds of my own cash, you know, and sometimes, you know, if you have to go and get a second evening job to help pay for your startup, so be it. Well, you know, I don't always see why you're going to go to an investor and the investor takes all the risk and you don't take, you know, if it, the business doesn't work out, you just go off and do your next thing and the investor loses out. So I think that's the biggest thing. You know, if, if I've seen people have taken maybe a big salary, decrease or you know or they've put their own capital at work you know their savings their something they've sold an item and they've put their money into the business it means so much more to me you know it, it it's about it's having that commitment and if i'm going to commit i think it's again I'll, I'll use it again actually funny enough that all it gives the investor confidence so you know that's a real big thing for me because the biggest frustration is if someone comes, they haven't really put, and I, I'm not saying risk, risk everything and go crazy, but it, it's, it's about, it's about a gesture to say, actually, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to lose out too. Do, do you kind of understand that? Yeah, I, I understand that it's got to be a, it's got to be a, a proof. And I think you'd put it in your notes, actually a proof of the passion. You know, you have to prove that you actually care enough about this to make yourself a little bit uncomfortable to do so. And I think that that's a massive, massive thing for people. And I think if you're coming from the bottom up, if you're working towards something you've never had anything, I think that's theoretically a little easier. But as you say, if you're coming from a big salary and you just happen to have an idea that you think is viable, I entirely get that you've got to drop your salary. You know, I, when we started our business, the agency, I was, you know, I was a consultant earning six figures at, you know, age 23, 24. And just gave that all up because I've totally entirely believed in creating a design agency, which has now succeeded. And I think it's an amazing cathartic kind of process that you go through. It, it kind of frees you up. It makes you see that there's so much more 
than just the cash or whatever, whatever that risk is, whatever you give up, whatever that sacrifice is, it makes you see that what you believe in is much more powerful. And I know that sounds really cliched, but if you can honestly look at that from my perspective, if you can look at that and say, yeah, this is the right thing and I, I am willing to risk this, your business stands so much more chance of success than if you just do it with that safety net. You know, I think that's, that's a vital thing for everyone in business. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that ties down to, it's a great driver. You know, if, if things are tight personally, because you've taken some sacrifices for your business, it's the biggest driver for you to make it succeed. You have to make it succeed. It will drive you 24 seven to make sure you get that extra customer, the extra client, the extra visitor, whatever it may be. So that's what an investor like me likes to see. And I think, you know, even if, if you tick, and I'll say this four, because we talked about the drive, the passion, the energy, it, them four points, if you tick all of them boxes, I don't think you're going to have a problem raising money. I love it. That's fantastic. And that's actually a fantastic place to put a pin in that. I think that has been such a powerful episode. I, I, we've never really spoken about investment as such and, and the, the physical attributes that people need to be able to secure some investment and actually kick the startup or their own startup into a, into a higher gear, if you like. We've never really touched on that. So thanks so much for doing that, Matt. That has been a really, really powerful episode. And just before we wrap up, where can people connect with you online, please, sir? So uh, Twitter, so at markpearson.com on Twitter. You'll probably find me on LinkedIn. Uh, Facebook's my own personal one, so unless you know me, don't bother over there. Uh, my, I've got a website, markpearson.com, and then also we've got fuel.ventures, which is that new new URL. So there's no .com on that. People confuse it. So it's fuel.ventures, and that's the investment fund. So email me, contact me. And the key thing is, and this is the last piece of advice, if I don't reply straight away, don't be afraid to chase me because sometimes, you know, my inbox is so full, you know, I don't get to respond to everyone. And what I love is the perseverance. And, you know, I said earlier, business is about selling. If I miss your email or maybe it was the wrong time and I, and I'd read it and I forgot about it because there's a hundred and one other things. If you catch me at the right time, you know, most of the time, if you chase me and if I'm not interested, I'll just say, sorry, it's not for me. And I might connect you to other people. It might be. And that's the key thing. Last final thing. Don't give up, but, you know, persevere because actually, you know, you might get told no 99 times and one time you get told yes and you get your investment and it took a hundred times and a hundred days, whatever it may be. But, you know, don't be afraid to ping people more than once or ping. What I also see is people ping me via multiple channels, even though it's frustrating, it shows they're keen, right? It shows they're really keen to connect and they're really pushing. And if they're keen to connect to me, I think they're going to be keen to make the business successful. So there's my last one. I'll leave you with that. Good luck to everyone. Don't be afraid to be a pest. (laughs) In a way, I mean, if you are a pest, the investor or whoever you're trying to contact will probably just say, actually, it's not for me. Yeah, at least you get the response. At least you get the the, the reply. Exactly. I love that. Well, Matt, listen, thank you so much, sir. It's been a real pleasure. Good. Cheers. Have a great weekend. You too, sir. And guys, for you listening out there, as ever, don't forget that all the show notes and everything that we've spoken about, myself and Mark, will be available over at excellence-expected.com. Whilst you're over there, check out the free library of goodies as well. You can grab all sorts of different resources and tools from over there. So check it out. There'll be something there that will help you in your small business. And until next time, folks, don't forget, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Bye-bye.